Me and Chandi are both really big on coffee. She has her pour-over thingy, and I have an espresso machine. But I also am really, really into tea. Like, I love tea. If you are also into tea, you need to check out Sip Tea Shop. Drinking tea can be a full mind, body, and spiritual experience that surely helps me unwind after a long, stressful day. With a variety of different herbal notes and flavors, Sip Tea Shop has a tea for everyone. For instance, take my personal favorite, the Unwind, which has chamomile, lavender, and has a great aroma of fresh roses. It really helps you to relax at the end of a long day. To find out more about their great collection of teas, go to thesipteashop.com. That's T-H-E-S-I-P-T-E-A-S-H-O-P.com. Also check out their Instagram at instagram.com slash sip underscore tea shop. That's S-I-P underscore T-E-A-S-H-O-P. Hey everybody, I'm Zoe. And I'm Chandi. And this is Bound by the Cloak. I'm not much for airplane travel, but Chandi, I know you are. Yeah, I am. Why aren't you? I just generally don't have places to go all that often. But you go for work and then you, your parents live out of state. You go visit them. I, I mean, everybody basically lives here, so they're fairly local. And yeah, I don't travel super often for work. If I do, it's usually somewhat local. But I'm not opposed to it. I, I just really don't don't do it. Well, also, I'm sure all the horrible stories about unreasonable passengers don't kind of oh, make like, you want to uh, run onto a plane. Yeah, crazy, unruly passengers. I guess I'm also more concerned about being not on the ground for a particular length of time. Why, you don't like to levitate? I mean, look, if you're on a boat, there's like life jackets and lifeboats. But True. if you're in a plane... Well, but they have the floatable... Okay, actually, somebody who flies a lot, I mean, I, which is interesting because I actually do listen to the safety instructions every single time, but <laughs> I can't seem to remember exactly what goes into... In the event that the plane is going to fall from the sky, pray? I don't know. Like, what... Yeah, they have make the... Your peace? Well... You make your peace before you get on the plane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would say I just kind of go into it. Yeah, having no idea how that flight's going to be. And uh, I don't think I'm the only one. True. It's funny, like for someone who doesn't get on planes that often or like barely at all, uh, I have so many questions for flight attendants and I know most people probably do. Yeah, even for someone who is a frequent flyer, I have a bunch of questions too. So today on the podcast, we have Tony, a flight attendant who has a blog called A Wheel in the Sky, where she blogs about work and travel. Hey, Tony, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, it's great to have you. 
Thanks for having me. Very excited. You know, you're a flight attendant and we wanted to talk to a flight attendant to kind of just get like the ins and outs of what it's all about. I'm a frequent flyer. I'm on a plane like twice a month. And it's always interesting because, I mean, I use the same airline for the most part, but you see so many different kinds of people and how they interact with people. So, And I don't really ever fly anywhere, so. What's interesting is I had never really considered like the life of a flight attendant before I was one when I would travel. Um, it was kind of like, we're really background players to everyone's, you know, vacation or business trip or whatever reason they're traveling. It's like, we just like make everything smooth in the background. And most people don't think of who is that uh, person giving me a beverage or making me put my bag away. So yeah, I never thought of it until I was one. Are you saying next time I'm on a flight, don't ask the flight attendant, what is your deepest, darkest secret? They might like it. I would say read the body <laughs> language. And if they seem like they want to engage, then yeah, definitely go for it. Because we talk, we end up talking to each other like that a lot. Things get deep pretty quickly. But read the body language. If they're like turned with their back to you, try, uh, reading a book or something, then... <laughs> They're probably going to give a less than cordial response. Noted. Yeah. Or And don't ask for secrets in front of people. Uh, so you have a blog. Can you tell us why you started it, how you started it? Yeah. So the blog is called A Wheel in the Sky. I've been writing there for coming up on four years, just past four years. It's been a while. And before I ever thought of becoming a flight attendant, I was a writer. So I was writing when I was a kid, like getting into writing programs and doing all this stuff. After college, I did a bit of news writing and a little bit of travel writing, but I could never get myself to buckle down and write consistently for myself, like the personal projects I wanted to work on. So I, when I became a flight attendant, I thought, okay, this is the perfect kind of excuse to make myself write more. Um, so I just created a blog so that I would have deadlines, uh, which I need to function and like content that I wouldn't have to think like, okay, what do I want to write about it? I kind of write about three different things. I write about flight attendant life, all that that entails, little juicy insider secrets, what it's like for us. I write about travel and I write about uh, personal anecdotes that might be considered miscellaneous or vulnerable. And yeah, so it's been great. It's kind of like tying two things that I like together, the writing and the travel flight attendant stuff. That's great. So obviously we have to ask this question, which is what made you want to become a flight attendant in the first place? Yeah, great question. And the answer is like, maybe not satisfying because I didn't know that I wanted to be one. It kind of fell into my lap, which is what happens to a lot of people. But I was bartending to support myself. I was doing some writing after college and that doesn't usually pay for an apartment. So I was bartending for years and a girl was a regular. She would come in, we would chit chat about travel because I like to travel and she worked for an airline. One day she sent me a message and said, hey, this airline is hiring. The application is open tonight from like seven to nine. It was a two hour window if you want to apply. And so I had the night off. I applied on a whim. I didn't hear back for so long. Thought like I forgot that I had applied. And then I had already quit my job at the bar and was moving cross country when I got an email saying, we'd like you to come and interview. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I forgot about this. I considered turning the job down when I was looking at the starting pay. 
And uh, my mom suggested that I give it a try. You can always quit in like six months to a year if you don't like it. And I did. And nine and a half years later, they will have to kick me out if uh, if they don't want me there because I'm not leaving. But the interesting thing is that I was searching for a way to kind of game the system and travel for cheap or free for a while. I had started my Peace Corps application three different times and not finished it. I was on an au pair website and was in contact with a family in Turkey to go and nanny for them, which I didn't end up doing for some reason. I was like always surfing the web on this site called Coolworks where you can find like national park jobs or cruise ship jobs. And it never crossed my mind that I could just work for the airline and fly for free. So it's been really incredible for uh, satisfying the urge to travel. Best job ever, would you say? I think that for me, yes. I don't think it's the best job ever for everyone. But for me, I'm someone who I can get a little restless if I'm doing the same thing over and over. So for me, like a nine to five would be really tough. I get bored easily. And when I'm not stimulated, it kind of affects my my mood and like how I look at the rest of my life if I'm, you know, feeling like I'm not being challenged or having different scenarios come up. So that's great. My schedule is different all the time and there's a lot of room to kind of mix it up. If you get into a rut and you're like not enjoying your job, which I I it happens from time to time, I just switch it up and instead of this type of trip, I start working these type of trips. Or sometimes you can do a special assignment and go and work in corporate or you can go uh, work in like the admin office. You could like try to work a different... Like go international instead of domestic. There's kind of a lot of ways that you can you can have control and like change it up if you need to. And it's great because anything that you're doing for too long, like once you once you feel yourself dreading going to work, it's a good indication it's time to switch it up. The travel benefits are really good. Flying for free has allowed me to go places that I never considered going and to travel more than I, I don't know, little kid me wouldn't have even imagined traveling like I do. And uh, yeah, the schedule is just super, super flexible. I'm talking to you guys from LA and I was able to just like, I have 24 hours to myself in this hotel room in like a nice area. And oh, look, I can do all this stuff that I want to do on the side. So it's great if you have personal projects that you work on side hustles. A lot of people have second businesses or first businesses. Yeah. And I can kind of change my schedule and work when I want and the types of trips I want. So basically, yes, it is the best existence that ever existed. For somebody who wants to become a flight attendant, can you just go through the process Back in my day, they do things a little differently now. And I'm not surprised because when I interviewed with my airline, the interview process was something like Survivor um, or like a high school gym class. So they had all of us go to whichever city we were interviewing in. There were a few options, but you had to get yourself there. They did not pay for transportation. Some airlines do. Mine did not. It was a full day interview. It ranged from like a couple hours to like six to eight hours. And they made cuts throughout the day. So like at first you would get together with someone, introduce some someone else to the room. Um, and they made a round of cuts. And then uh, you do some other group activity and they make a round of cuts. And it's it's corporate, but like fun, how the how the fun corporations do things where we do like a group activity that signifies something innate about a person. And they were making cuts based on that. 
But this was in a time when uh, airlines were very well staffed and they could be very selective about who they were hiring. They don't do that anymore. At the moment, everyone is short staffed. And so if you've ever wanted to be a flight attendant, now is the time. It's, it's, I don't want to say like, I don't want to say like, a lower caliber is getting hired because I have no idea. That's not for me to say, but the interview process is more like, we need people. We need people. And if you're here, we need you. They did stop the survivor style interviews maybe like a year after I got hired. I mean, I had a good time because (laughs) I was getting hired and I was making it through the stages. But I think if I had traveled there on my own dime and got cut from the interview after I introduced someone else and didn't even get a real interview, I'd be pretty upset. But a lot of things have changed since I was hired and and probably for the better. Would you say like the process was kind of rough because you said it was like survivor-like? It was fun. I went in prepared. Someone had given me the tip, you should look on Glassdoor about the interview process for this company. And I did. And it was really good that I did because I got a lot of tips of like, When you go for your interview, when you walk in the door, the interview begins. Not when you sit in the room answering questions. And so it's a customer-facing job. Um, You're interacting with people all day. They need to see that you can interact with strangers in a group. So if you're social... So I'm making friends, you know, talking to all the other applicants. They give you um, a dress code to wear to the interview. And it's pretty specific. And that is also a test because uniform... Well, obviously, we wear uniforms and uniform compliance is a big thing. So they want to see, like, can you fit into our narrow definition of what we want? That's part of the interview. They want questions answered in a specific way. And coming up with like sample answers the night before really helped me the next day. I've, it's it's hard to come up with, um, you know, like name a time you went above and beyond for a customer or like tell us about a time that something went wrong at work and how you fixed it. And it's like, oh my God, let me go back the, over the last 10 years of employment and figure out what to say right now. So I was well prepared and I had a great time. I don't know if other people didn't. And I think I'm social enough that I can fake being social even when my battery is drained. Yeah, I feel like, like I might I, have a problem with the faking all the time. Yeah, it is It is tough sometimes. But yeah. The, yeah, the interview process, they do like a video interview now. Oh, wow. They just invite everyone to come in person and then they they do cuts along the way that way. And so hopefully it's gotten better. And then after that, Um, You get a job offer. I got my job offer the next day. And the job offer is contingent on you passing flight attendant training. If you fail training, you don't have a job. For me, it was fine. It was a good time because I had just quit my job. My whole car was packed up. I was driving cross country to Oregon to live there. So I kind of was in a transitional place anyway. And it was no big deal to like hang out in Portland for three months before I started work and then go to training. But for a lot of people, it's like, you really have to put your life on hold. You go away to training for um, four to six weeks, depending on the airline. Some might even be longer. And that time... Every airline does it differently. Mine, we got paid nothing while we were there. And then we got paid afterward. And it was very little. 
but you know, your, your housing is paid for. So you don't have to worry about that. But you know, if you don't pass and you already quit your job at home, uh, if you moved out of your apartment, if you like upended your life for this opportunity, it's, it can be a big risk for a lot of people. And I'm a single person. I don't have a family to think about. So it was fine for me to take that risk. It is tough for some other people. You really put a lot on the line and um, training is difficult. And then when you do start working, um, the wages are super low, like very difficult to live on if you don't have a spouse or partner to help support you, or if you don't have family that you can move in with, it's just really hard to get by. Uh, we're all drug tested and background background checked. Can you just like walk me through like a like your routine, like when you're getting ready for a flight or a trip? Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm like a dilly dallier, so I take a while to pack because I'm like I check the weather for my layovers to see what kind of clothes to pack, and I'm usually listening to a podcast while I'm packing, and I uh, meal prep. I bring enough food so that I never have to buy food is always the goal to not, to not have to buy food. And that way, if I'm on a trip and I like my crew and I want to go out to dinner or if I'm in like San Diego or something and I want to go out and treat myself to fish tacos, it's like a fun thing and a treat and not, I'm not spending, you know, $15 on like a, this airport sandwich or something. I have my lunchbox usually weighs as much as my suitcase like so stuffed full of food. You never know kind of how your day is going to go. Really? You see how it's going to go on paper. And then in real life, it often changes. So like you might think, Oh, I'll have time in between these two flights to get off the plane and get food. But then once your first flight gets delayed, you don't have time anymore. So then you're stuck or like, Oh, I brought enough food to last me through till the end of the flight. But if you get delayed on the tarmac or something, or if you get a rolling delay and you don't have enough, that runs out. Um, and then, yeah, just I pack like pretty basic workout clothes, toiletries. It's like, I have to make sure I leave and give myself enough time to get there on time. Being on time is very important. And yeah, I drink a lot of coffee, basically. I go in before a flight, I meet my crew. We have a little briefing. We do like our security checks and make sure all the emergency equipment is there. We talk to the pilots. We have a briefing with them, see how long the flight's going to be, if we're going to have weather, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're ready to work the flight. I should say that all of this before the flight happens stuff is unpaid. It's not unpaid completely, but we're not getting our hourly wage until the door shuts. So we check in like an hour before departure. In that time, we do the briefings, the security checks, we board, which is the worst part of flying. Yeah. And then after departure, we start getting our hourly wage. Before that, we're getting it like a very small amount called per diem. It's like a couple dollars. Yeah. Pretty normal for like, I think like a standard kind of trip. It is. There's like less that goes into... There's less thinking about what to wear and stuff because I've been doing it for so long and I work the same types of trips all the time. But if I'm going somewhere new and exciting, then yeah, I might take a little longer packing or like deciding what to bring. How far in advance do you know um, your schedule or your trip? Every airline could be different, but the way that we do it at my airline, we bid for our schedules a month in advance. A bid is just... A 
a long request form. And so you request days off, what types of trips you want to work, like one day, two day, three day, four days. If you want to go to certain places, if you want to work with certain people or avoid certain people, you can request that. You can get super, super specific if you want to, or you can leave it very general and just ask for like your days off and whatever else they assign me. And that's all awarded by seniority. Everything, everything in aviation is seniority. The longer you're the, the longer you're there, the better your quality of life is, the better your pay is, the better everything gets. Um, so it's getting pretty good for me now at like nine and a half years. And yeah, so I know a month in advance. That being said, you can really change your schedule kind of when you want. Like sometimes I swap a trip the day before. So something better comes up or I need like, I need to finish earlier or later. So there's a lot of wiggle room. There's a lot of like, after the bidding period, you can always like drop, swap, add. And if there's enough staffing, it's pretty easy to do. Do you fly domestically and internationally or just one? I fly mostly domestic. Occasionally, I fly to places in the Caribbean or um, to Mexico or South America occasionally, um, but mostly domestic. Yeah. And I mean, the U.S. is still a big country. How do you deal with jet lag? I am pretty good. My body is pretty pretty good at adjusting. Um, the only times that I really suffer for, from jet lag are when I'm gone for extended periods of time. So I was away for a couple months in the fall. I was in Europe. And when I came home, I took a little bit to adjust. But for work trips, it's usually short. It's the longest I'm usually... I come to the West Coast a lot. I'm from the East Coast. I fly out of Boston. And I spend a lot of time in LA, San Diego, San Francisco. And so... But it's like 24 hours usually that I'm here and then I and I go back. So my I tend to stay on whatever time zone I'm in. So like a lot of people I work with, they're like, oh, I always stay on East Coast time or oh, I always stay on West Coast time. And I just kind of, oh, it's like, it's bedtime here. So I'll go to bed and then I wake up whenever I wake up. So I don't have to fight the jet lag too much for these short trips. It can get tricky if you're if your schedule is changing a lot, like the hours that you're working. Yeah. So if you're working a lot of overnights and then you switch to early mornings, it can be that can be tough in general. I have a hard time with the early mornings because I'm not good at relaxing enough to sleep the night before. But for some people, I'm sure it's the opposite. How often do you meet up with the same crew members? Because I know like each flight it's different crew. Yeah, you never know. Okay, so I was going to say this depends on seniority because at my seniority now, I can kind of control what I work more. And so sometimes I'll... Like if me and a friend bid for the same trip, we'll get to work together. Um, Also, because I work a lot of the same trips over and over, like I will work a lot of trips out to LA or San Francisco or San Diego. And it's kind of... You might run into the same people that do the same types of trips. But I mean, I'm over nine years in and there are still... It happens all the time that I go into work and I don't know any of the crew. Like we're all... you know, I'm meeting all of them for the first time, which is wild. And yeah, when you're new, 
you're on reserve for an undetermined amount of time. And what that means is that you don't have a set schedule. You have days that you work and days that you're off. And the days that you work, you're on call. So you can go anywhere. And it's like, you got a lot of crappy trips. Oh, good. Okay, great. You can swear. It's totally fine. You get a lot of shitty trips. I had to throw it out there. I'm allowed. Um, you get a lot of like crappy trips, but then you also will get some like really awesome trips because someone super senior calls out last minute. Uh, so when you're new and you're working like the worst of the worst, you might end up like seeing the same people because it's probably other new people like you. There's a lot of staff. Um, so it, it just depends kind of on how much variety you have in your schedule and what your seniority is. But it's always it's good to meet new people too, because you know sometimes you work with people um, and you just click with them that you had never met before, and then you have a new friend. And sometimes you work with a crew, and you're like, okay, I uh, don't want to see your name on my pairing again. I hope this is a one <laughs> deal. And then you put them in your avoid list on your bid if you really need to. Is that that way? That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that we can avoid flight attendants and pilots. Wow. That's. Yeah. That's I don't, I don't have anyone on my avoid list. Um, that's also good. <laughs> yeah. There's no one that I like that I have had that terrible of an experience with that I wouldn't, that I would give up a trip, you know, because of them. But I definitely have people that are. Favorites and not favorites. Because you form a bond with like... Make fast friends. Yeah. yeah. Jump seat confessionals. People will tell you, I mean, people will just really spill all their business on the jump seat sometimes. We're on the road so much and um, it can be a lonely lifestyle. It's like very social and there's also so much alone time. So, you know, some people need that kind of companionship from their coworkers or... I don't know. They can't get an appointment with their therapist. So it's like we do jump seat therapy and yeah, it happens for sure. What makes a shitty trip shitty? Everyone has a different definition because um, people like different things. For me, what makes a trip shitty is if I have to board multiple times in a day for free. I don't like that. (laughs) I hate boarding even once because it's like, it's just the most like chaotic part of the entire flight and it's unpaid. So um, I guess now would be a good time to plug uh, pay me for boarding on Instagram or pay me for boarding. I don't know if it's .org or .com. If you just Google search it, you can find it, sign the petition to get flight uh, flight attendants paid for boarding. We're doing a lot. Um, We can get fired during for, for doing something wrong during boarding. You know, we have medical events sometimes helping people with bags we're like setting up our galley or doing like safety stuff it's kind of, it's a lot of work um so for me i don't want to board more than i have to i like to board once in a day and just work one long flight i don't like working like we go up and down we're we're a very heavily east coast airline but we fly to the west coast as well and i would rather work a long flight than work a bunch of little flights so I I will work red eyes all the time. I I love a flight where everyone is asleep. 
except for me. That's amazing in my opinion, but a lot of people would rather die than work red eyes. They just do not want to be up overnight. It's pretty bad for your body, but I I guess while I can do it, I'm okay. Some people hate working four day trips because they want to be home every night. And some people don't want to work turns. A turn is like a one day trip. You fly somewhere and fly right back because they don't, they don't live in base and it's they want they would rather stay in a hotel than stay in like a crash pad or something. So a shitty trip is different for everybody. Some people want like a really fun layover city and some people want just like the most productive trip with the most hours so that they get paid the most in the shortest amount of time. There's something for everyone and so the definition is different. So you hear a lot of different things from people outside of the industry about what they think a flight attendant does or what the industry is like. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that you just want to bust? I have a whole blog post about this, um, about flight attendant misconceptions. First and foremost, we are not dumb. Some of us are. There's a lot of us. But I mean, like, I think that there's a stereotype of like the airhead flight attendant that doesn't know anything other than how to serve a Coke on a plane. And um, I would like to forcefully dismantle this misconception. Um, I work with some very intelligent people. You don't have to have a degree. And degrees don't necessarily make people smart, of course. But it's a very, it's a very highly educated workforce. Um, I work with people who are lawyers and people who are nurses and people who are real estate agents and people who are doctors. I work with people who are business owners and people who are writers, all kinds of things. I, one of my friends used to be a professor and this is her retirement job. A lot of flight attendants are very well read. They're very active in, in community issues and in politics or social issues. So that's one. I think the whole like sky waitress thing is the majority of our job is doing it's very rote and routine and we're doing the same things day after day and yeah on a typical day i'm like slinging a lot of drinks in the aisle and giving people pretzels but what i'm actually there for uh and you'll know it (laughs) if the time comes is to evacuate an aircraft in like 90 seconds and to do medical care if someone is having a medical event on the plane So we're all trained in basic first aid. We're trained in CPR. Um, We have access to an AED machine and portable oxygen bottles. And um, we're trained to fight fires on the aircraft and all different types of fires, electrical and lithium batteries, which is like kind of the new, the new big one is the batteries and yeah, the evacuations. So we're primarily there for safety, which I know everyone has heard in our little spiel in the beginning, but I don't think people believe it until they have some type of event on a flight and they see it firsthand. And then they realize, oh yeah, they're they're doing more than giving pretzels. (laughs) A lot of our training is like very specific procedures about what to do in this instance, in this case, and in this thing. But a lot of it, you can't possibly prepare for every single scenario when you're flying like hundreds of people every day. So it's like a lot of it is just like very nuanced and and each situation is kind of individual and different. So a lot of our training is just learning to kind of use our 
use our senses and use our gut and use our communication with one another, with the pilots and with customers to say like, something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't smell right. Something doesn't look right. And that's a huge part of our job. When I wasn't a flight attendant, I used to get scared during takeoff as a passenger. Even though I loved flying, I loved going to the airport, loved traveling. Takeoff was always scary. And the reason is because it's so loud and the sounds were like... If it was like a refrigerator that made the sounds that the airplane makes, I would be like, okay, it's it's dying. It's broken. We got to call the repairman. If it was my car, I would take it to the shop. Like it gets like so loud and then it dies down and you're like, oh no, it should still be loud. Like, so now I know what all the sounds are. So when something, when something doesn't sound right, I know it. And I can tell the pilot, hey, what's going on? Did you hear that? Do you know what that is? That's a huge part of our job is just having the awareness of kind of like what the normal, what the normal things are. And then when something's when something seems off, alerting someone or like talking it out. Yeah, that's a big part. And we do appreciate if you are ever on a on a plane, on a flight, and you think something is wrong, definitely say something. And you're quite it might nothing might be wrong. It might be like, oh no, that's just blah, blah, blah. But like, oh, if you think you see fuel on the ground outside, hey, I think I see fuel. If you think you smell like smoke or anything like that, it's very helpful. Like all of us on the aircraft, we all have the same mission and it's just like getting there safely. So have you ever had any events like that where like something may have been wrong on a flight? I had an emergency landing once, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't terribly frightening. We had a, um, hydraulics system failure. So it was like a mechanical issue with the hydraulic system. So we had that right after taking off, we had to land, we had to come right back to the airport and land. We had to sit on the runway for a while and wait for the emergency trucks to come out and just like take a look at the aircraft and make sure everything was okay for us to like pull it back to the airport. And it was, it was fine. We ended up just canceling there and we had a layover in Vegas, which was very nice. fun working with a friend. Uh, so I can't complain, but um, there's different levels. Um, so that wasn't like, hey, this is a big emergency and we're going to have to evacuate the plane. That was like, we have to land the plane, but the plane is fine. We're, we're fine to fly right now. We just can't go all the way to where we're going with this piece of equipment out of service. So we just have to land. A situation can always escalate and get worse. So I was like the head flight attendant or like the first one. Um, so I was like, you know, a little nervous because I was thinking, well, what if like something goes wrong or if it gets worse, then we'll have to do like, you know, the scary thing and like get everyone out. It didn't come to that. It was fine. Um, but we were all communicating really well. The flight attendants, the pilots letting, letting our passengers know and with one another. So yeah, that was like my biggest one. I hope that I never have to evacuate an airplane. I hope I never have to evacuate an airplane. That's what we do. Uh, We go to training every year to like refresh our skills so that we're on the up and up about like what to do on all the different planes. A lot of my skills, I hope I never use them. Well, it's, Great, because you've been doing this for over nine years and you've never had to do it. Yes. 
You're a good luck charm. Well, um, actually, yeah. You know what? I am. (laughs) I go to work and whenever I start a trip, I say, oh, we're going to just have an easy day. We're going to have the easiest day. And I usually have really easy days. I tell my parents, like, I have all my forms. And these are forms for like, you have to have like a medical form in case you have to call into MedLink and do a medical thing. Or you have report forms that you have to fill out if something happens on a flight. And so I always tell my crew in the briefing, I have my forms, but we're not going to use them today. It's going to be a really easy day. And usually it is. So we're, we're going to get to the fun questions. Woohoo! Not that the previous ones weren't fun. You know, I'm pretty sure that you've had some really interesting, maybe weird, funny, crazy experiences on flights. I don't know if you want to talk about any of those. This question used to be hard for me. Like I would, when I meet people at parties and stuff, they always say, oh, you're a flight attendant. You must have some wild stories. Like what's your craziest story? And for a long time, I struggled because it was like the interview thing where you have to backtrack and like think of like, okay, all the days I've worked, what was like the thing? And now it is so easy because my craziest flight attendant story is the time when a gentleman had explosive diarrhea in his seat while asleep and with such force that it went up over the seat and made a puddle on the floor. And uh, the woman who was sitting behind him, she was a compliant passenger and had put her bag under the seat in front of her as we ask everyone to do. And so the doo-doo went up and through the seat back and into her bag. So that was wild. Um, I felt really bad for the guy. Yeah. He, he was a French speaker or French Creole. So we page for someone with language skills to assist us in like asking him questions. So we were like, are you okay? Um, have you been feeling ill before the flight? Um, is there anything, anything we should know about? Are you on any medications? Like, do you want medical treatment? Should we have like EMTs meet the plane? And he said, no, he didn't want medical attention. And he, he thought it was something he ate. We get it. We get things in order on the plane. We had to like move a lot of people out of the area. It was pretty, oh, you wish we threw them away. No, <laughs> listen, don't let your skin touch those seats. Oh, I yeah. I tell people that about movie theaters. Do not go to movie theaters unless you're wearing long pants because they don't clean those seats. And as on trend as like crop tops and like halter tops and like wearing like tiny shirts in tiny shorts is on trend as it is. But while you're on the plane, don't let your skin touch that seat because we are not throwing those seats out when people poop on them. They get cleaned, but I mean, they're not getting thrown out. Uh, the craziest part of my crazy story was not even the diarrhea on the floor, oddly enough, um, or the woman who wanted to save her canvas bag with doo-doo in it. At the end of the flight, I think... It had something to do with the fact that this man was black and spoke French. I can't say for sure, but all of a sudden we land and everyone is a doctor and everyone wants to know the protocols for what are the medical protocols for like quarantining. And this was before COVID. This was before we had this like thing about quarantine. Oh, everyone, these customers were like stopping and like, well, what's your procedure for notifying us about his condition? And they all wanted to know like why he shit himself. (laughs) They were worried about themselves. And I think that it was after 
Ebola had been in the news. And so everyone had this image that they were like, this man's very exotic and he probably has this exotic (laughs) disease and we're all like, we're going to get sick now instead of like feeling bad. Like, oh man, it's like, this guy must feel like really awful. Um, It's like, well, am I going to get sick now? And um, they were basically... It was like a standoff at the gate. Like they were just standing, like screaming, like shouting. We had to get escorted off the airplane and outside. Like an agent had to like escort us because people were just getting so riled up about someone else's medical condition. Just so everyone knows out there, like I don't have the power as a flight attendant to hold someone against their will if they don't want medical treatment. Just like, just so all the listeners know, that's not how it works. Yeah, I've never had that experience. Uh, It was pretty wild. But I mean, bodily fluids are just a part of aviation. They are just a part of aviation. I've had a little kid throw up on my shoe. Oh, no, no. Cover up your body on those seats. They are full of stories. I'm going to wear a hazmat suit. Let's talk about the Mile High Club. Okay. Have you ever busted anyone for trying to join it? Personally, I haven't seen anything get too far. I have been on a flight and I was eyeing these two uh, that just made friends on the plane. And I was, I was on the lookout because I had a suspicion that that's where things were going. Oh, wow. And I'm pretty sure they were both married to other people. But one of them passed out from the wine. So we have it. They didn't even get uh, there. Yeah. So no, I haven't personally busted anyone, um, but I have heard stories from other flight attendants of like catching people doing things like an airplane lavatory is the most disgusting thing you could imagine. And if you let your naked body touch any where in there, like you're just putting yourself at risk. It's like, it's really freaking gross. It's really gross. I think it's like the least sexy thing I could even yeah. imagine. Um, it's not worth the herpes. So just don't touch anything. There's pee no. all over everything. Oh, like there, there's pee all over everything. The floor is covered in pee. You know, it's what? pee. Don't go in there barefoot either. Please, please, please. It's not water. It's pee. Not making and, me want to get on a plane. I mean, okay. Like the guy who shit his pants when he went to the bathroom to like clean himself up, it's a tiny room and he was a huge guy. So when he came out, there was smears everywhere on the walls, on the door, nothing is safe in there. Nakedness and with another person, it's so small that like you barely can like fit yourself in there without touching too much. Yeah. It's super gross. If you're on a private plane, do you. Yeah. So I've heard stories from other people. So like, what's the rudest or just the strangest thing that a passenger has like said or done? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know about the strangest people. People really like check their common sense curbside when they get to the airport. So like people do really gross, strange things like clipping their toenails or like weird stuff like that. Um, but people are also just super rude sometimes. And with the caveat that most people are not, most people just want to get from point A to point B and like do their own thing. And they're not trying to like ruin anyone's life along the way, but it's obviously the, the terrible people that stand out in your memory. So yeah, people can be pretty rude. 
I had a guy like yelling in my face one day in the aircraft. Like I was kind of like cornered into the door and he was like screaming at me because, um, he was mad that his TV didn't work. So I like gave him a, a voucher, which is protocol. And, um, then he was like upset that there was a girl that had her shoes off. He just like went off and started screaming at me about the environment. And I was like, the environment of the airplane. I don't even know really why he was mad, but he was like yelling at me. And then I locked myself in the bathroom and like cried. And, um, I was just so taken aback that someone would like treat me that way at work. And it was infuriating because I hate that when you're like really mad, but then your body reacts by like, do you just like cry? And you're like, oh, I will not be weak. (laughs) I'll let you see this. So I had a kid in the bathroom to get it out. I had a guy scream at me to shut the fuck up in front of a bunch of people um, because I asked him to put his mask over his nose and mouth. when I, when that was a big part of my job. And, um, I had a guy threaten to sue the company. I don't know why he was threatening me. Like I don't represent the company in that, in that manner. He didn't think that his, uh, it was another TV issue. Um, he didn't think that his voucher was adequate compensation. And so he asked me, does this happen a lot? And I said, well, sir, it happens enough that we have a protocol for, um, what to give you when it does happen. And he said, oh, I'm just, uh, I'm just wondering if I should talk to my lawyer about a class action lawsuit. And I said, sir, you need to, I, I can't give you legal advice. I think you need to do whatever you think you need to do. And if you think that as a member of the flying public, you're a protected class, then I think you should go forward. I think that that was an example of someone thinking that because I'm a flight attendant and I was younger at that time that I was an idiot and I would be really intimidated because he said the word lawyer. And like, first of all, I don't care. Sue, sue the company. See if that affects me. Like, I don't have any money to give you. And also, I know what a class action lawsuit is. Being a member of the flying public is not... That doesn't make you a protected class. Like, yeah, no. It's not going to work, sir. But yeah, people get really, really bent out of shape about stuff sometimes. I think that with social media, how everything is on film now, people are just like, it's like a heightened level and there's a lot of escalation. And so when someone has some kind of issue, whether it's like they can't get the Wi-Fi to work or their TV is not working or there's not a space directly above their seat for a bag. It's like, instead of just presenting this, like, Hey, I'm having trouble logging on. This isn't working. Do you know if there's an issue with it? Oh, um, is there a different place I could stow my bag? Instead of coming at it like that, everyone wants to like jump into aggression kind of, and be like, there's no place for this. And I paid X amount for blah, blah, blah. And And it's like everyone wants something free or they want to make so much of an issue that we have to give them something. It's gotten a little annoying because a big part of my job is just like de-escalating stupid things that like don't really have to be a big problem. Everything being on film and on social media, people are just like, there's a certain personality type that's ready to make a scene out of anything. Uh, And then like whatever version of it goes viral 
is it edited? Uh, or is that like, is there context that we're missing? Like, was the person asked 17 times before this filming started to be compliant? Or like, it's pretty tough with the whole everyone ready for a fight to film. Have you ever missed a flight? Yeah. Like I was supposed to work and I was like, yeah. slept through my alarm. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually. It hasn't happened many times. I think the last time that happened, that happened in like early 2021, like in the winter sometime. And I remember because I had just bought my house recently. So I was sleeping in an air mattress in the living room and it was snowing outside. And I got a phone call from work being like, Hey, where are you? And I was like, <gasps> and I don't live like next door to the airport. So there was no yeah. way. I was... So yes, it has happened. And they have a procedure for like, for that. The beautiful thing about this job, it's like a pro and a con. You are a cog in a wheel. You're a pawn on the board. You don't matter that much. And that can be depressing <laughs> if you want it to be. But like, also it's very liberating. Yeah, I overslept through my alarm. I didn't show up to work. I felt really bad about it because I'm like, okay, I'm in my mid thirties. I shouldn't be like sleeping through work, but I'm a human. It happened. Guess what? They just get someone else to work it. And then I went in later in the day and like worked some, they gave me something else to work. It's actually really nice sometimes to not have the level of responsibility on your shoulders of like, like I am not going to make or break this operation. If I call it sick, they have someone to replace me. Like I am a number and it's like, it used to kind of bother me. And now it's like, yeah, this is great. It's business, baby. Like I come in, I do my thing. I leave. I don't take problems from work home with me. I don't get like too bogged down in anything. And uh, yeah, I have missed a flight and they just replaced me. In terms of passengers, do you ever see the same kinds of passengers and you recognize them? And can you distinguish between who's a frequent flyer and who's not? Yes. Like sometimes if I work the same routes, I'll see people like, oh, I brought you to a, your conference uh, last week and now I'm bringing you back. So I will sometimes see the same faces. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's what we yeah, meant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Occasionally, not often, but I used to work Seattle flights a lot and I would do like these red eye turns and go there and back. And I would have this one guy on my flight all the time. Him and his girlfriend were in a long distance relationship. I think she was in grad school in Seattle. So he would fly out to visit her and I would see him almost every time I worked Seattle, I would see him on one of the flights, like either going there or coming back. So that's like really nice when that happens. Some routes are big business routes. And so you'll see like the same people. And yeah, some routes are vacation routes. People have beach bags and hats and all that. Um, you see like in the winter, like everyone's going to Salt Lake or Denver with their big, huge ski boots. Um, so like the overhead bins fill up really fast. South Florida's. Sorry, everybody. I mean, now go there, but like, I don't want to go with you. The different routes tend to have like different people. Some, some, some routes, not so much, but, and yeah, people that fly a lot, there's a difference. It's not a bad thing to like ha be inexperienced. It's just like a little more work for us because we have to explain um, how the TVs work and how the Wi-Fi works and what we have for products, like what we have for drinks, what we have for snacks. Oh, we're actually not serving that right now. We'll be getting to that a little later. And so it's just like a little more that you have to do. Whereas like a lot of business travelers, 
who travel a lot for work, they don't want anything. They can be, they can be difficult in their own right because it's like, oh, my work email is more important than like anyone else on this plane. So I'm not putting my computer away after you told me three times. But as far as like in, in the flight, it's like, yeah, I know, like I know how this works. I don't want anything from you. I just want to sit here on the Wi-Fi and I guess it was maybe like after 9-11, they're like, you know, US Marshals on flights. Is that still a thing? Yes. They're on flights at random. So they could be on any route, anytime. And we're informed if they're on our flight. And we know, and the pilots know, but no one else knows. At any given moment, if you're on a plane, there could be an air marshal. There might not be. But it's at random. So like they could they could be okay. there on flight. Yeah. And do you know exactly who the person is or you just know that they're on the flight? No, we we have to know where they are and where they're sitting. Any law enforcement, like the whole crew knows where they're sitting. Anyone who ever has a firearm, we have to know where they're sitting. And it seems like, you know, as a flight attendant, you have heightened senses. Air marshals, we would we might get a vibe. It usually won't come up because we are supposed to know before anyone gets on the plane. The, like they're not in charge of telling us because everything's like very under the radar. The airport staff will tell us, like the gate agents tell us. Law enforcement's harder to take a look anyway. Are you actually confident that people that are sitting in emergency rows will actually like do what they're supposed to do in case of an emergency? So ideally, they don't have to do anything because yeah. we are supposed to be doing everything. So... But I think that, especially in a post 9-11 world, people will bring into action when they need to. There are requirements to sit in the exit row. You have to be a certain age. Uh, you have to be like able to speak English fluently on, on my airline because we're an English-speaking carrier. So if we are shouting emergency commands, you have to be able to understand them. You have to be able to lift like X amount of weight. But yeah, we ask everyone if they're able and willing. If someone appears like they're not really able or willing, then that is part of our job to discern that and move them. So like sometimes people will get sat in the exit row and it'll be just, you know, like things slip through the cracks. So it's just about like layers of security. So like if something gets past the gate agent, then it's not supposed to get past me and so on. So if someone's sitting in the exit row and they're like, I can't, I can't, um, can you put my bag up for me? I can't do it. I had, I had shoulder surgery or something like, oh, okay, well, it looks like we need to move your seat. That's not going to work. So it does happen. But I think... That, yeah, if stuff is really going down, I think that people will follow directions and their kind of like survival instinct will kid, will kick in. And there's three of them in a row. So I think they'll like keep each other in line. And I think, yeah, that they would get it done, that they would get the thing out. And luckily, the instructions are very easy and um, there's pictures. So it's like, I think they would be able to. So, you know, we're talking to you because of what you do. Um, what is the most interesting passenger you've met? I was flying to, this is not light, but I was flying um, to Arizona, to Phoenix. A lady and her daughter were flying and the daughter was like a little messy. And like she wanted to like order drinks and I was kind of like, mm, I don't know. And the, the mom, she fell asleep. She passed out. So she had clearly been drinking like before the flight. So we had to like get a wheelchair for her. 
when we arrived because she like, we like couldn't wake her up. I don't know if she took any pills or anything, but the mom was talking to me and she was just like beside herself. And she was telling me that they were dropping her off at rehab. She ended up telling me kind of their life story and she was adopted and she'd struggled with that. And so the mom felt like, you know, additional guilt about like making life okay for her. And it just like weighed really heavily on her daughter throughout her life. And so it was like really heart wrenching to hear these stories. And, you know, people will come to the back and they're like, not everyone is flying for vacation. You think like, oh, well, they're just traveling. Like, no, they're not. They're traveling for a funeral, you know, or to like see their their parent in hospice and hope that they make it in time. Yeah, you meet a lot of people with stuff like that. You also meet people with fun stories. <laughs> but what's your favorite flight related show or movie because there's a lot there is and i'm really bad at watching them so i've never yeah i've never seen the flight attendant i've never seen that movie with um denzel washington or the one with gwyneth paltrow or the one with george clooney like i have you seen the airplane at least no mm -mm. wait hold on wait I've never seen any of these. <laughs> the worst. Uh, I'm actually like so bad at watching TV. I watch, like I'll watch TV and then my like claim to fame is I've never finished a series. Like I just like, <laughs> I like leave off somewhere and I don't know if it's because I like lose interest after not seeing it for a couple days. I never want it to end. So that's all. Yeah. So I don't have a favorite. Oh, I did see one called Red Eye years ago. With, yeah. Uh, I remember that one. Rachel McAdams. That was pretty good. But like, to be honest, I don't want to watch shows about plane hijackings. Yeah, that, that makes yeah, sense. That's, that's nope. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have watched several episodes of Why Planes Crash. I don't like recommend that everyone do that, but I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, it's not fun. It's like not lighthearted. Tony, this was fly. <laughs> That's great. You know, as a passenger who flies a lot and on behalf of all passengers, good, bad, ugly, thank you for what you do and keeping us safe. Yeah, this was super fun. Thank you guys so much. This is great. Yeah. Safe travels. Maybe I'll see you in a flight someday. We'd like to thank Tony for being on the podcast and for sharing her wild stories with us. That was wild, right, Zoe? It was pretty wild. And um, she was also a good sport in answering a good amount of our questions. And we honestly, we still have more, so you never know. But if you guys also have any questions that you would love to ask a flight attendant, let us know. Heck, let Tony know. Be sure to check out Tony's blog, A Wheel in the Sky. We'll put the link to the blog on the show notes on our website. That's going to do it for this episode of Bound by the Cloak. Thanks for listening. Once again, as always, you can find us anywhere that you get your podcasts. Check us out on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter. You can go to our website and you can even email us if you'd like. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay fly.